You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Good morning. Any of you moms, grandmas, maybe aunts, have you ever had a moment where you're heading into your bathroom at night and you head to the sink and you look down and there is a slightly larger than life ant in the sink? Anybody have this issue? So this happens in our house on occasion and it causes me to immediately fly into a fight or flight uh, moment where I'm kind of like stunned and terrified at this seemingly slightly large ant in my sink until I can calm down my whole emotional response and realize that this is not a real ant. This was put here by my youngest son in attempts to terrify me and he has succeeded. And I go around the corner and he's fully delighted at himself, right? So this, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but this, when it's one ant, I can deal with it, especially when I realize it's fake. Then we're okay, I can deal with that. But have you ever had something like this picture happen in your life? I mean, you're set on this donut. You know, you were really looking forward to this donut. And it's sitting there and you walk away to go do something and you come back and it's covered in ants. Your day's ruined. I mean, the whole day is a mess. You are angry, you are irritated, you declare war on ants, right? This is just, this is in, it inflames you because there are so many of them. There is no way you're picking them off and still eating the thing. That's not wise. But so these ants, when there are so many of them, it becomes harder for us to get our emotions under control and deal with it. Well, in my line of work as a counselor, ants actually stands for something. It stands for automatic negative thoughts. And this is something that we all experience. So I began doing some research on this, and the research is widely varied in determining how many thoughts we actually have a day. Apparently, it's hard to decipher that. So the research says that we as humans, in our one day, 24-hour period, we have anywhere between 6,000 and 50,000 thoughts per day. Did y'all know you were thinking that much? 6,000, 50,000 thoughts per day. Now, those are just thoughts, but what the research did agree on, even though they were varied in that, they did agree that out of those 6,000 to 50,000, 80% of our thoughts are negative. And 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. So we are having these negative, repetitive thoughts on a daily basis. These ants, these automatic negative thoughts coming through. And that affects how we feel, it affects our relationships, it affects how we treat ourselves and people around us, how we act in the world, how we behave. It affects how we live out our faith often because we get this filter going through our life and we begin to view everything through it. So they kind of form these, what we call life scripts. 
uh, Eric Byrne, who was the theorist behind transactional analysis, which y'all don't need to know about, that's okay, but he said that life scripts are unconscious pathways created in childhood, and they're strengthened with evidence sought throughout life, ensuring our beliefs are justified. And for an example, if as a kid, if you are told that you are such a compassionate, kind friend, then you're throughout your life, you're going to look for evidence that I am indeed that. I want to justify that belief. But if in childhood you are told something like you, you don't have enough value or you're not good enough, then you begin all your life to look for evidence that that thought is actually true. It creates a filter through which you view every situation that involves you and people around you. Albert Ellis, he was the creator of Rational Motive Behavior Therapy, he said this about negative scripts. He said they are pessimistic ways of thinking about ourselves, others, or the world in general. These scripts are contained in the unconscious mind and they play in the background throughout the day. They are subtle yet powerful and influence how we perceive the world and act in it. He was the person who coined the term stinking thinking. And what he's talking about is these things become part of us and so they play in the background. They're part of those 6,000 to 50,000 thoughts per day that each one of us has that forms a script through which we then live. So where do these come from? Well, we talked about some of your upbringing, your parents. And I take this very seriously as a parent raising boys. Um, what am I doing to influence their life scripts or the ways that they view themselves in the world? Uh, we get it from our upbringing. That doesn't just mean the way you were brought up in your home, although that's a huge part, but it can also be where did you grow up? What was the culture like around you? What was the socioeconomic status around you? What was happening in the culture at that time? Through our experiences, they give way to our life scripts. You know, something interesting, we have all been through a pandemic, all of us. We have all experienced the political unrest. Every single one of us have gone through some of these things. These experiences have a way of, of adding to the filter through which we view ourselves and our world, the people around us. They, they, they impact it in a mighty way. The mistakes we've made. If you've made mistakes in your life, which if you're human, you probably have, it, those have a way of whatever we told ourselves about those mistakes, whatever somebody else told you about those mistakes, have a way of forming a filter through which we view ourself. Media. Media will feed you whatever it wants you to believe. And so it will try to create a script that you have to live by um, that, that influences your thinking and then what other people say or do, and sometimes that's what's done to you. Sometimes it's something somebody said to you that you would never have wanted, but it gets playing around in your head like a script. So that's where they come from. So what happens to us when these ants, these automatic negative thoughts, like the swarm of them, like on the donut, they begin to create this filter. You know, a swarm of ants you can't see as clearly through. What happens when we allow that to be our reality? One of the things that happens is confirmation bias, which I kind of already alluded to. So that is if you have a negative view of yourself that you believe that whatever you do, it's not good enough, you will only look for evidence in your life that backs that up, that I am not good enough because of this, 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 and you'll miss everything else, but you'll look to confirm your bias. 
Sometimes when these, these ants, these automatic negative thoughts become our filter, we live as highly anxious people because we are always on guard, always assuming the negative. So these, sometimes you walk around like, because <gasps> you're always like hypersensitive about what's happening around you, always thinking there's threats everywhere around you. Sometimes it causes us to live in deep hopelessness or depression, thinking there's no other way to think, there's no other way to be, there's no hope in this situation because it's so negative. Sometimes it leads us to negative coping. When our thoughts go negative, we want to get rid of those. So sometimes we will go to a substance or something that we look at or something um, unhealthy that we do just to make the thoughts stop. And that's not living in holiness. And sometimes then we live, and this is I see a lot right now, because of the negative scripts, the automatic negative thoughts, we live in anger, always on the offense, always thinking we've been offended or someone meant to get us and I'm angry and I just wanna live out of that. And it keeps us in this hyper state of that. This is not how God has designed us to live. This isn't how he called us to live out our faith. And I'm so thankful that his word addresses this so that there's hope. So we're gonna turn to a letter that the apostle Paul wrote. Now in my office at Cornerstone, my staff, we truly believe that Paul is a cognitive behavioral therapist. And we cannot wait to sit down with him in heaven because we got a lot of questions for him. Like, it's not fair. We had to go to school to learn this stuff. You were Holy Spirit inspired. You know, like this is just not fair. But we love Paul's writings. Paul often addresses our thoughts in line with our walk with Christ. If your thoughts aren't where they need to be, your walk with Christ also will not be where it is intended to be. He links these two all the time. He understood that our thoughts impact our emotions, which impact our living, how we live out God in this world. So in, to do this, we're gonna go to the book of, of 2 Corinthians. And this is a letter that Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Now, I gotta tell you the context of this verse that we're gonna look at. Because Paul is realizing he needs to explain to this church at Corinth how to handle the battle going on in their minds because Paul was dealing with it too. Here's what Paul was, was wrestling with at this time. He was dealing with people who opposed him. So people who kept coming against him. This was a reality for him. He was also feeling misunderstood in the way he went about sharing the gospel. They would critique it. Well, you do it this way there, you do it this way there. And they were just critical. Uh, the culture around him was very critical of this. And, and he, he, he was misunderstood. And so he was wrestling with his thoughts on that. He also was at a time when he observed people in the church getting glimmers of something from the culture around them and adhering to that without holding it up to what they knew about Christ. They, does that sound familiar? The culture impacting them so much that they adhered to the culture instead of holding what they knew, what they were experiencing or what they were being told up to Christ to see if it actually was true or not. So it was into this setting that Paul writes these verses in 2 Corinthians 10, three through five. He says, indeed, we live as human beings. 
But we do not wage war according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, I have to say, I love that Paul starts this section saying, we live as human beings. I mean, he's just acknowledging, okay, people, we're human. We're gonna deal with this. If you're human in this room today, which I assume y'all are, we are going, you're gonna deal with negative thinking. And this isn't a message on being an optimistic person versus pessimistic. This is about those, how those thoughts get deep rooted in us and cause us to live different. So Paul is saying, listen, I know we're all human. So this is for every single one of us. Then he says, the weapons of our warfare, what we have to combat these negative scripts, we have divine power to destroy the strongholds that they create in our life. Divine power. How incredible is that to know that your thought doesn't have to dictate your whole life. We actually have weapons to come against this. We're gonna talk some about those. He says, we destroy arguments and obstacles raised up against the knowledge of God that speaks truth into our lives. So we take these arguments, these obstacles, these negative impacts of, of thinking, these ants that come against us to create filters that are so negative and harmful to us and, and people around us. And he said, we, we, take, we raise those up against what do we know about God? What would he say to us and to others? What would he say about others in this situation? And we examine it in that way. And he says, and we take every thought captive to make sure it lines up with the reality of God's truth about us. You realize that if our thoughts on a daily basis could line up with God's truth about us and the people around us and our world in general, that we as followers of Jesus would actually begin to have healthy thoughts healthy emotions, healthy actions, healthy life rhythms, healthy relationships, healthy perspective, healthy choices. We would begin to look very different to this world because we are human, but we have weapons that this world doesn't have to combat those negative thinking. So how do we do this? How do we take our thoughts captive like Paul's talking about here? How do we do this? How do we get this shifted around? Well, I have to tell you, you can't change anything in your life until you're aware of it. Are any of you pen clickers? You just sit there, you're just clicking away until somebody in the room says, would you stop? Would you just please stop clicking your pen? And all of a sudden you stop. You're like, I didn't even know I was doing it. Didn't even realize it. Have you had anything in your life that your sweet family members draw to your attention, you know, that you didn't even know you were doing? But once you were aware of it, you could stop it. You could change it. You could do something about it. And this is the same way. This is why Paul says you have to take your thoughts captive so that they are obedient to Christ. So they measure up, so they line up with the knowledge of him. If you don't know you're having a negative thought, if you don't aware of it, you can't do anything about it. It just rules your life. And so he's saying, that's not how we were made. We actually can know we're having these thoughts and do something about them. So I wanna grow your self-awareness of yourself a little bit. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over some ant traps, but we kind of flip this in, in the mental health world. Uh, so ant traps in your house, if you see a bunch of ants, you probably get ant traps as a way to like conquer them. 
in, in the way of thinking here, these ant traps I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over with you are actually the ways that these ants, our automatic negative thoughts, try to conquer us. They try to trip us up so that we, we fall into these traps. And then we don't live healthy or think healthy or view people in our world and ourselves healthy. So I'm gonna go through these and I want you to be aware, this is your moment of self-awareness. Oh my goodness, I do that, all right? Now, this is not a nudge your neighbor time. I don't want you to do that. I really want you to think for yourself, do I do this? Do my thoughts get, end up in these type of ant traps? So here we go. The first one is all or nothing or overgeneralizing. So if you fall into this ant trap, that would sound like if I'm not perfect, I have failed. Or if I do it right, or I just don't do it at all. It's all or nothing. The next one is mental filter or disqualifying the positive. So in this occurs, you have had a situation happen in your day that was not your, not your favorite, maybe difficult, and you hone in on it so much that you ignore the whole rest of the day. All you see is that negative. It doesn't matter if someone told you that they loved you, if your family just provided, if you got a compliment, it doesn't matter. You disqualify anything good and you hone in on the negative. That's disqualifying the positive or mental filtering. Jumping to conclusions. Now this happens in two different ways. The first way is you begin to think that you have the ability to read the mind of others. So this happens when you walk into a room or down the hallway at school and you say, I know they think this. I know they think this of me. I know that person thinks this, I know this. Y'all, you don't know that. Do you know you don't know what people's minds are thinking? And thank goodness for that. That could be terrifying, right? By the grace of God, we don't have that gift. So it's minding, it's assuming you know what someone's thinking when you don't know. Or you assume, the next part is fortune telling, you assume you know how the future's gonna unfold. So this could sound like, well, this day is gonna be the worst. Or I know I'm gonna fail my math test. I know this whole business deal is gonna be awful. You, do you don't know that? You have not lived in the future. All we get to do is live in this present. So when we fortune tell, that is jumping to a conclusion that you cannot make. This is when I get stuck in, and Bradley Taylor is great at saying, whoa, Carrie, you jumped way over there. That doesn't quite make sense. Let's reel that in. And he helps me bring that back. And I'll tell you, because I know my mind tends to go to that trap, it doesn't trip me up anymore now that I'm aware of it. I recognize it and I use the tools God's given me so that I don't stay there. The next one is magnification and minimization. This is um, kind of catastrophizing, all right? So Brad Taylor is really good at this during baseball season. So here's what happens. The Cardinals are playing and it's the first inning and they either strike out, they make a bad play, something happens in the first inning and to Brad Taylor, the whole game is lost they now will never make it to the World Series. Like the season is over. This, we call him Eeyore, don't we Keaton, at our house during baseball season. This is, this is his nickname. He's very positive in other aspects of life, just not baseball. And so that's magnification. You take this little thing, you blow it up. Now, minimization is also where you take something that is a, a big deal, something you need to pay attention to, and you minimize it something that you really need to be aware of and you're like, yeah, it's not a big deal. I'm not gonna really think about it. I'm just gonna push that down, right? We do these um, magnification and minimization. 
The next one is emotional reasoning. So this is where we take an emotion and we draw a conclusion from it. So it sounds like I feel embarrassed, so I must be an idiot. Or I feel hurt, so they must hate me. It's what I feel this, so this must be true. That's not true. You know, our emotions are there to inform us. They are not there to tell us exactly what the truth is about our situation. They just tell us how you feel. It doesn't mean it's the truth about your situation. So that's emotional reasoning. The next one is should or must. This is when we create unrealistic expectations of ourselves and others, saying things like, I should have done this, I should have known, I should have this. And also for others, they should have known, they should have done this, they should have. And it be, just becomes, they, I must do this or, or I won't be this. This is that should or must and it's unrealistic expectations. And the last one is labeling or personalization. And we all do this at times and you know you've heard yourself do it in your own head. It's where we say things like, I'm completely useless. I'm such a failure. I'm such an idiot. Or you say it about somebody else. They're such an idiot. How do they not know better? I can't believe them. And we label or person, make it personal about ourselves or others. It's as if we take blame that is not ours or we blame others for something that is our fault. And so these are the thought traps that as they've studied us as humans, that almost every single one of your negative thoughts falls into one of these. And this is where we're getting hung up. But the good news is that Paul tells us we gotta take these thoughts captive and we get to hold them up to the knowledge of Jesus and, and do something different with them. Now, to do that, I'm gonna teach you how to do that. But one of the things you have to understand, first we have to be aware of what we're thinking. And then we have to have what we call at Cornerstone an out of brain experience. It's as if you take your brain out of your head and you set it down in front of you and you look at it. Instead of just having a negative thought and thinking you have no power, you have no control over it, it has to determine your next steps, your life, your day. You instead take it out, your brain out here, and you say, all right, all right, brain, I'm aware. You're having a negative thought. You fell into an ant trap for sure. Um, all right, automatic negative thoughts. Why are you showing up now? Why did you decide to get so loud in my head? This, this you know, you're really gonna crimp my whole style of my day if this is what we're gonna think about all day. Now, this is really gonna impact my marriage in a bad way. If that's where we're gonna go all day in this thinking. And you start to walk around your thought and just get curious about it. And you start to ask it questions. You question the thought. Is that really accurate? Is that really accurate of me? That what I just said in my head, is that really accurate? Is, that, is there something else that's more true? Is there something else, a different way that I could look at that person to understand where they were coming from rather than me assuming they're an idiot? Like what, it, what do I need to look at in my thoughts? How do I walk around this and have a conversation? While you're doing that, where you're questioning your thoughts, you're challenging them, asking the question, is this thought void of Jesus? Let me tell you, often when we go negative on ourselves or others, that thought is very much keyed into you. It is not about him. And we need to understand that distinction. Is this thought have anything to do with Christ? And if it doesn't, I need to bring him in on the scene. I need him to bring in. So then you can say, all right, Jesus, I need you to step in. I need you to, like, you walk around my brain, I'm gonna walk around my brain. We're gonna, we're gonna dissect this together. Here's where I'm at, what are you seeing? 
right? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Jesus, what would you have to say about my situation? Would your interpretation of myself or others in this moment be different than my own? And we begin to ask questions like that. We demolish arguments and strongholds that are raised up against the knowledge of God. So think about this. If you just met me, or if you met somebody who knew me, and they were telling you about me, they're like, well, Carrie's this, she's this, she's this. And then you had a situation in your day, and you didn't even know me. You would have no idea what I would think about your situation, what my values are, what my opinions might be, because you don't know me. But if you knew me, if we were good friends and you heard my heart often, you knew my values, you knew my thoughts, you knew my walk with Christ, you knew those things, when you had a tough situation, you might be able to say, I wonder what Carrie would think about. You know what, I have an idea of what her opinion would be. I kind of think I know what that would be. I know a lot about Bradley Taylor and what he will think in situations <laughs> because he's my best friend. We do life together. I know him well enough to kind of guess what he would think in situations. That's how it is in our walk with the Lord. If you know about him, you will not know his thoughts on your situation. If you know him, because you're in a constant relationship where you're reading his word, you're talking with him, you're praying, you are listening to the Holy Spirit, you are involved in, a, in a groups of people who also know him, guess what? You will have an idea of I think I might know what Jesus would say in this situation. I think I might know what his thoughts about me and others would be right now because you know him, you know him well. And Paul is saying we have got to hold our thoughts up to what we know about Christ to see if it even is accurate or not. This is crucial in shifting all of this around and shifting to a healthy filter through which we view others and ourselves as well. Well, I was working with the word art students over in the Axis, and we were doing, a, we had a topic of perspective. And I wanna kind of tell you the scenario, because I think it's really important for us as we talk about seeing things through God's lens. So we had these cardboards, and we kind of had a quadrant, where we had two guys on this side, there were two girls over here, and I asked them to build with Legos, because, you know, everything is better with Legos. And so we built with Legos. They were, they were building a scene of a police car chase. So the two guys over here were building their own version of a police car chase. The girls over here were building their version of, that, of a police car chase, but they could not see what each other were building. They could not see from the other side. So when they got it done, I asked the guys, all right guys, describe your police car chase scene. And they did. And then I asked the girls, does that look accurate based on what you see? And they're like, no. That's totally not what's happening. And I was like, all right, girls, explain to the guys what's happening. What do you see? Explain your scene. And they did. And I asked the guys, does that line up? Does that look accurate? And they're like, no, that's totally not what's happening. And we were talking about, as we digested this together in Word Out, we talked about sometimes we have a life situation that we have a certain view on and we interpret it in a certain way. But God also has a view of our life, of our situation. And he says, that's not really how I see it. If you could see from my perspective, my view on you, what I see in you, is not what you're saying to yourself right now. 
If you could see from my perspective, you would understand something different about that person that you are going so negative on. And you just might see my, my view on this. This is a beautiful way that God allows us to take our automatic negative thoughts and line them up, take them captive, hold them up to our knowledge of him and begin to say, is there a different way that I need to think about this? And God may say, that's not how I see it or how I see you. Let me tell you how I'm being involved in your story, how I would like you to think about this. The challenge is, what if we actually believed him? What if we actually took his perspective and said, I'm gonna go with your perspective, Lord, even if I don't understand it yet, how would that change our living? Well, we're gonna make a link real quick back to the Old Testament. We've heard Paul's story or his, uh, his message to us to the church of Corinth, and we're gonna take that passage, but we're gonna link it to the uh, Israelites. Now remember the Israelites, they were in bondage in Egypt uh, for 400 years. They were, they were slaves um, in, in Egypt. And they began over these 400 years living in slavery to really get settled in. They had kind of just settled into to captivity. I'm just, we're stuck. This is just how life's gonna be. This is where they were. They had settled in. And does that not sound like us sometimes with our ants, our automatic negative thinking, we settle into something that feels normal and we don't even become aware that we're having it and invite Jesus to help us change that. So in Hebrew, the word for Egypt means, mitz, or it's called Mitzrayim. That's the Hebrew word for Egypt. And Mitzrayim means a narrow strait or a tight place. And this is exactly where the Israelites found themselves in slavery. Like they were in a Mitzrayim, a tight place, a narrow strait. That's what our negative thoughts, our negative life scripts become our mitzrayim, our tight place that we can't seem to see anything different out of. Now, listen to the Israelites and where they were and see if you can see some similarities. In their slavery, in their mitzrayim, their tight place, their view, they could not worship God as they were created to. In their slavery, they used confirmation bias to confirm their negative thoughts. They often would say, well, it's all bad. It's just gonna be bad. This is just how it is. They would, all, they would look for confirmation of the negative. In their slavery, they forgot whose they were and who they were. In their slavery, they used all or nothing thinking. If you remember in the story, they, they would talk about, well, th it, this is all, th th we just might as well go back. This is all bad. They forgot that anything good had happened, right? It was either all awful or it was all good. And they couldn't, couldn't navigate what God was doing. In their slavery, they often disqualified the positive of what God was doing. They mental filtered. So, you know, they get to, to the uh, river where they need to get across and it's kind of like, you know, we should just turn back. We should just turn back. This horrible thing is in front of us. I can't remember anything that God did to get us out. I, and they disqualified everything that God had done to faithfully get them to this point. Or in the desert and they were hungry and they were just, you know what? This is the worst thing ever. We should just go back to Egypt instead of remembering God's faithfulness and thinking differently about their situation. In their slavery, they often jumped to conclusions. Again, we should just go back to Egypt. They would jump to a conclusion. This is going to end very badly. This is gonna be awful. God couldn't possibly help us in this situation, but he did. And in their slavery, they use a lot of emotional reasoning. 
when things weren't going easy or they couldn't see how God would provide. They would get emotional about things and begin to make decisions that were not best for them because they didn't hold those up and say, whoa, I'm definitely going emotional here. God, what is your truth? How do I lift, shift to that? So their negative life scripts or their ants may have sounded like life is hopeless. We are worthless. Our work is never good enough. We have no value. No one cares for us. If it's hard, that means we should just quit. I'm scared, so we should go back to Egypt. Whatever they went negative, it was about them. It was all about them. Remember this, when we go negative on ourselves or others, it's mostly about us. It is not about our savior. So, but God faithfully, he continued to say, I want to rewrite the script that you're going, but I don't want this to be the script that you see yourselves or the world. And so in Exodus six, one through seven, we hear his words to the people, the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is fascinating. When God spoke to the Israelites, he did not address their negative thoughts. He did not say, listen, you guys are, you have a lot of value to me. You're worth it. You are good enough. You're going to be okay. He did not come back to their negative thoughts and just tell them the inverse. What he did is told them who he was. He said, I need you to know what I'm gonna do. I need you to know who I am. I need you to know that I am for you and that I am working for your good. This is the message that God wanted them to say. I want you to look through life from this lens. The lens of these four, four truths. He said, I will bring you out. I will set you free. I will redeem you. I will make you my own. That's the filter he gave them. He didn't just say the inverse of their negativity. Instead, he said, let me tell you about me. That's what you need right now. And that is where we are too. You know, when I hear somebody tell me their story, if their story about a situation is void of these four truths, how is God bringing you out? How is he setting you free? How's he redeeming you? How's he, how's he developing you into his own right now? I know that they are living out of negative thinking. Those ants are wildly at play. But when I hear a story of a situation that's difficult in someone's life, and it's a little bit about the story of what happened to them, and the whole rest of it, two thirds to three fourths of it, is about what God has done and is doing, I know they have shifted into healthy thinking. That's testimony. It's a little bit about what happened to us or what's going on, but it's a lot about God and who he is and what he says we are, who he says we are. What if your true life scripts 
include evidence and a healthy filter of how God brought you out or he is bringing you out? What if it's about how he set you free or he is setting you free? What if your filter became, God redeemed me and he is redeeming me in this way? Or what if it was, God made me his own and I keep learning this in this way? If that became when you had this out of brain experience and you walk around it and you bring God in on the scene and you say, God, I see what I see. I wanna see what you see about me and the people around me and my world. I wanna get my thoughts captive. You know, when your thoughts are captive, you're the boss, do you realize that? Like you get to decide how much they eat, how much attention they get, right? How much of your, of your, your energy goes into that? how much rule they get in your day. Paul says, take every thought captive so that it lines up with Christ. Hold it up to what the knowledge of God is in your life and live healthy out of that. There's a song by Big Daddy Weave and I hope you can listen to it later. It's called My Story. And I want you to listen to the words and the way he talks about story or his life script, the way he is telling you his filter on his life. He says, if I told you my story, you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. And if I told you my story, you would hear love that never gave up. And if I told you my story, you would hear life, but it wasn't mine. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin of when justice was served and where mercy wins, of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in, oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him. If I told you my story, you would hear victory over the enemy. And if I told you my story, you would hear freedom that was won for me. And if I told you my story, you would hear life overcome the grave. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin, of when justice was served and where mercy wins, of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in. Oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him. This is my story. This is my song, praising my savior all the day long. How great would it be as followers of Jesus if the way we told people or the way we talked to ourselves or others was to say, I can tell you my story, but it's gonna be to tell you about him. When you go negative on yourself, instead of just assuming you have to listen to that, to walk around and say, you know what, self, I'm not gonna tell this story. I'm gonna tell a story about Jesus, about what he's doing, about his truth in my life. You know, we've talked about, we've all been through a pandemic. We've all been through some, and every single one of us has been touched in hurtful ways through this time. But what if, as followers of Jesus, we could say, well, we can tell you our story of the pandemic, and it's a little bit about the pandemic and a whole lot about our Savior. It's a whole lot about what he's done in us and in, in our mindsets, in the way we think about each other and the world. For those of you in school, what if you started the school year determined to have a filter that could see where you were saying, I'm gonna look at every day through the filter of God's truth. To tell my story this day is gonna be to tell of him. I'm gonna look for evidence of him. What if we all did this? Our world would begin to say, I think I want a walk with Jesus. If it means they can tell stories that are healthy, right? About ourselves and about our world. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for these, my, my, follow, my fellow followers of you. 
They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you so much for Paul and the insights he had. He acknowledges we're human, but we also have this incredible ability to have self-awareness, to know I am going negative right now. I'm really going to destructive on myself or others. And I can walk around that and say, Jesus, before this takes root, what is it that's there? And Jesus, would you create a filter through which I view myself and others in such a way that when I tell of my story, it tells of you. Father, would we represent you well that way? In your name, amen. Would you stand? May you take your negative thoughts captive, hold them to the powerful truth of the knowledge of God in your life and allow him to give you a life script, a life filter that doesn't agree with all the ants, but is a filter of holiness through which you view yourself and the world around you. And it may this story include his elements of I will bring you out, I will set you free, I will redeem you, and I will make you my own. So that as followers of Jesus, we live out this freeing truth that to tell of my story is to tell of him. May God bless you as you go this week. Have a wonderful week. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.